Hey folks, and welcome to another cracking episode of This Is Hate CD. Way back in 2017, I caught up with Greg Barnarda, co-author of the best-selling innovation book, Value Proposition Design by Strategizer. I've known Greg for a very long time, and in this episode, we reflect on where things are at in between books and where he sees value proposition design and also the business model canvas in the current world that we find ourselves in. I truly respect Greg's mind and brain as one of the best thinkers around, and so too do Thinkers50, a regular speaker at their events. Now we tap into the work that Greg has been doing around leading ecosystems, which is a bit of a different way of thinking about systems, such as product systems or service systems. Now we speak about what business models look like within organizations, both at the macular and also at scale. So if you're working in spaces where you're trying to nudge that system forward to becoming more customer or human-led, I think you're going to get an awful lot out of this episode. Now, before we jump into today's episode, today it's been brought by our wonderful friends at Miro. I use Miro nearly in all of my online training sessions with clients, and I want to tell you why. In today's digital age, remote work is becoming increasingly common. Miro is built with remote collaboration in mind, enabling teams to collaborate effectively no matter where they are. Now, one of the features that I haven't actually used up until recently was the video conferencing feature from within inside the application. And this takes it to the next level. And I think you're going to like it too. So check out miro.com forward slash podcast where you can sign up for three free canvases for life for free. Now, let's get straight into Greg's episode. Greg, Bernarda, I'm delighted to have you back in the podcast. Um, you know, we've spoken, you were one of the very first guests in This Is HCD way back in 2017. Um, but we were just chatting there about the, the good times where we had pre-pandemic where we caught up in Dublin and showed you around uh, Dublin and even caught up with Jerry McGarvin, which we'll chat a little yeah. bit about, more about maybe. But maybe for our listeners who've been living under a rock and maybe you don't know who you are, Maybe start off, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Yeah, good to see you, Jerry. A lot of things have changed, but not your glasses. I'm glad to, glad to see you. They have changed. How dare you? They have, oh. They have changed. These are relatively new, but they're a nuance. They're a little bit different. Yeah, that's, I thought, yeah, okay, okay. You they still you look well, as great as ever, though, Greg. You still look as great, like, you know, tanned, black shirts, the whole lot going on. So where are you based now? in Zurich, which is not really where I get my tan, but I do go in the mountains a lot uh, for hikes. So yeah. based in Zurich, I'm from the French part of the country, though. That's maybe mm-hmm. what you can hear in the accent. I'm French yeah. part of Switzerland. Look, I mean, my journey, I started my career at the World Economic Forum, if you remember yeah. that. And I uh, was there for eight years, 2000, 2008. And I got really inspired by the idea of, um, we used to call it collaborative innovation at the time. Mm-hmm. And this was to, you know, draw a contrast between w- when I joined, you had one person speaking to 800 people. And then we thought, okay, maybe the 800 people have something to say back and <laughs> contribute to the conversation. And we got involved into all sorts of uh, new formats and things and, uh, you know, to create what today we would call co-creation and, and, uh, and community, uh, you know, uh, kind of looking at, at, a, at a topic more holistically. Mm-hmm. So that's where I started, then uh, went out and, and created my own practice, independent practice, mm-hmm. applying this world of collaboration to questions of innovation and strategy. And in the process, um, I, I reconnected with a friend of mine called Alex Osterwalder, whom you know, yeah. you know a lot of the folks around him. Strategizer. Um, strategizer, business model canvas and all of this. And um, yeah, we, he invited me to be part of the second book in the series called Value Proposition Design. So I'm a co-author of this book. Yeah. And basically in my practice, we can talk about what I'm up to today, but basically my yeah. practice is... Um, helping people with uh, reinvention, innovation, uh, getting them to work together in new ways and to see new possibilities. I think that's one big part of the job and then to uh, enable them to, to, to act on it. That's, yeah. uh, that's the gist of it. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's a brilliant summary of, of where you're up to. And we're going to be talking a little bit more around, I guess, leading ecosystems and the work that you're doing at the moment. But just mm. on the value proposition design piece, like you've, I don't know how, how old that is now, maybe eight, nine years old, is it? Something around that? Uh, uh, nine, yeah. Ten, nine. Nine years old. Mm. So with the benefit of reflection, how would there be anything that you would have changed uh, about that, that piece of work? Now that you see the world that we're in at the moment, what would you, or is there anything in that book that you'd say, actually, you know what, if we were to do it again, we might do it a bit different? Hmm. You know, the book, the sub subtitle of the book is called, um, so it's design, designing, actually, I have to remember what it is, but it's creating, creating things people want, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would add a really in the sentence, creating things people really want. Because, yeah. you know, that's a personal, um, you know, um, bias of mine or sensitivity of mine. Mm. But I really feel that innovation can be focused on, uh, you can do innovation for innovation, business for business. And yeah. nowadays, what I feel we need to do is really connect the, the practice, the power of innovation and business to what is really needed in the world. And there's just an immense amount of, uh, yeah, skill, capability and power in, in, you know, with everybody around the world that's working in the space of innovation. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I feel there's a bit of a distance between what, what is really needed, you know, in, in the world. So I would add really in that title. And yeah, that's really nice. Add, um, there's, yeah. you know, we can automatically fall into the, the kind of the assumption that everything that we produce, um, as long as it's been validated. And the, yeah. you know, the desire is there that they really want it. Exactly. Uh, and that's not always true. Hence why we've got ourselves in the situation where we might have 10 different to toothbrushes or, you know, all of right. these different pieces where ultimately they do the same job. Mm -hmm. So what, what's driving that? Like with your experience now with leading um, ecosystems, and I love the fact that you're, you're working into that space, which kind of lends itself to systems thinking and service design. Yeah. What is causing that need to, um, you know, create within the organizations? What's driving that? In the organizations themselves. Yeah. What's driving that? Uh, well, there is, um, there's obviously kind of a, a, an economic dynamic there where, you, you know, for a long time, I think you could run a business with the same business model and business model wasn't even a term because you didn't have yeah. to think about it. And so for 50 years, you'd do the same thing. You'd be really good at execution and, you know, you'd had your vision and mission pl plastered on the wall and you, you just follow that, right? Yeah. And then we became, or we kind of started entering an, an era, maybe 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even more where things accelerated and, you know, we hear it everywhere. Things are moving faster, et cetera. So as an organization, as a unit, you can't just rely on the same thing and you have to also think about what is next. How do I reinvent myself and how do I mm -hmm. create new value in the world, in this world that, is, that, that keeps changing? And it used to be just a few sectors or a few companies. It used to be just startups and now it's really everybody's lot. I think there's just a few industries that are still a little bit protected from that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there is an imperative to to for for innovation nowadays for reinvention. It's funny because the the old self of me would have been like, yeah, we need to innovate quicker and faster and stuff. But when you look at the older businesses that, um, you know, were relatively static as regards their business models and they were doubling down on the execution and stuff, they weren't producing things that people didn't really need. Just to lean into your your kind of the sub title in, in value proposition design in the world that we find ourselves in now in you know climate change you know vast amounts of plastic being used what does that look like in terms of the longer term like has that acceleration proved to put ourselves in a better position than we were maybe with the static business model well so i mean it's we, we've kind of followed, so if, if you follow this, this idea that every organization needs to reinvent themselves, that, that's still kind of following the logic of the organization, of the survival of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. 
And the reason I'm looking at ecosystem, I was always interested in systems thinking because I feel like it's really yeah. hard, at least in my head, to isolate, you know, to do yeah, this exactly. future really well, but not think about the, the old context and the system around it. Um, and I feel that the, 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 you know, the entrepreneurs, the founders, the innovators that inspire me most have always, not a new thing, but have throughout the years have always had this perspective of let's not just think about our organization, but let's be in the business in order to have an impact at the societal yeah. level or at the level of, you know, however you want to define it, but at the collective level. And mm. so if we don't do that, I think we just follow that logic. And like you say, it's more plastic, it's more externalities, as Wanks. you know, economists yeah. would call it. And that's, that there's something missing in that equation. Yeah. There's definitely a, a lack of consideration around the end cycle of the experience and what happens at the end of experience. And there's a huge opportunity, yeah. I guess, generally to, I think we spoke about this when we were in the, in the car, we were driving around Dublin. Um, <clears throat> I was like, there's a bit at the, in the value proposition piece or the, even in the business model canvas about the impact on the earth and yeah. what does that look like? And that's the bit that I was kind of, I guess, alluding to in, in the, the, the gaps, I guess, like that we, we probably could yeah. rethink uh, to have a, a deeper sense of ethical considerations around what we create. Yeah, um, 100%. Well, yeah, I mean, so the really one part is is one way of opening that that, uh, that space, yeah. right? But but that's the the space of how do I understand what people want really want, and, yeah. and if I dig deep here, I understand that maybe they don't want five more toothbrushes, but they have, you know, needs, and um, you know they want to thrive, they want to. Be healthy. They want to. They want to enable themselves to be independent and all of these things. But and if you pull that thread, then you get to really interesting and juicy questions for which we don't always have an answer, but that are really interesting to study in terms of innovation and to actually try and solve. But that's one bit, and you are alluding yeah. to the other bit, which is the bit of the creator, right? How as me as a creator, how do I think of the system that I create? in order for it to be um, basically healthy for nature, for society, and so on and so forth, right? And you see that a lot in business books. There's a theory that says, oh, you know, do this and your business will be great. And then everybody's like, yeah, okay, but can we apply this to social issues? And then there is like a, yeah. a, 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 you know, a two-page addendum or a leaflet after or something. But it's, it's an afterthought, you know? And what I feel is, well, let's start with that because why, you know, kind of, you know, ignore this, this, this thing from, from the start. So, yeah, I think the, um, you know, this new generation, I think is kind of more, more uh, naturally thinking about the yeah. wider picture uh, to start with. I mean, I, I had a fascinating conversation with somebody yesterday, which I'll be publishing in the next couple of weeks. His name is Ben Dunn Flores, and he's from the UK. And we had a great conversation about challenging the the home ownership model and how we can actually enable um, co-op schemes to own houses. And it was a it was a great conversation. And, and as we were just ending up the conversation, and we were saying our goodbyes, I said, "I have to ask you a question. Like, how old are you?" I said, "Because his wisdom." was from like somebody in their 40s okay someone who's been through the mm. process because i'm 23 mm. and i'm like wow i said your your knowledge of economics yeah. and your knowledge of this really complex system is mm. absolutely sensational mm. and i've noticed that from speaking to lots of people lots of listeners and just generally people at conferences that i've been speaking at the next generation i i describe them as having teeth they're ready mm. to sink their teeth into these problems and really shake the system so they get a, a huge kind of rap on social media as being kind of snowflakes and all of these terms being bandied around i completely disagree i think the next generation are ready for the fight and they're they're ready to stand up for what they believe in yeah. so it's it's really important for us 
in our position um, within the industry to be ready for that and to uh, become enablers. Enablers, absolutely. I love this yeah. because I, I agree with that assessment. I think at least one part of, of the next generation. I think there are issues as well that yeah. if you're not... Um, and if you don't know who you are and what you want, etc., there is so much noise and distractions nowadays. It's really hard for, yeah. for young people, I find. Um, so there's something we can do to help there. But for the ones that are ready to go, let's absolutely yeah. enable them. Let's also connect them to, uh, you know, I was involved in another project, uh, but enable, enable the connection with the people in power that yeah. are sitting in, in, in powerful positions and are also looking for new ideas. I think that that connection is important to make. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that distinction is really important as well. Like I don't mean to have a really big brush and say everyone between these ages is going to be, you know, up for the fight. And it's also a little bit of the conferences that I've been speaking at and the people that I meet and the people who listen to this podcast in particular are the people I contact to. So the I guess the signal to noise ratio is, is somewhat uh, a little bit different for me because I'm speaking to those those people. But generally, yeah. like every generation, they have their own kind of set of uh, constraints and, and issues going on. Yeah. So let's talk about your, um, I, I know we were back and forth in the last couple of days um, and the title of one of the talks that you gave recently was Leading, Ecosystem, Leading Ecosystems, Not Organizations. Mm. Where did this title come from, Greg? Um, I love it, by the way. I, lo I love the, the title of it because there's a really nice distinction on the focus and the emphasis on the ecosystem mm -hmm. versus the organization. But where did you see this, um, this need for this talk coming from? Yeah, so it came from two places. Uh, one was this kind of lifelong interest um, of seeing business actors as part of... Um, you know, part of the solution for, for societal issues, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. I, it's, it's, it's just like something that, you know, with the WEF, et cetera, we were talking about these things already, uh, you know, 20 years ago, obviously, and it's, it's not new and, and it's something that I feel needs to happen more and more and yeah. that the world is, is ready for. I think you need to explain it less to people why this is important. And so I, I kind of see this trend, right? Yeah. Um, and the other angle is, uh, it was, just seeing organizations that feel maybe stuck, right? But they're looking for growth. They're looking to unlock kind of new possibilities. And if they keep thinking about, to use, you know, the, the, the modeling language, if they keep thinking of just their product, their value proposition and the business model, well, they're kind of thinking inside the box, right? I feel, you know, in the same way that we had this transition from not just thinking about product, but thinking about the business model, that's a new, that's a more complex uh, system. Yeah. Now I think there's a jump from, uh, yeah, just thinking of the business model to thinking about architecting the ecosystem or being part of a new architecture of the ecosystem, yeah. which allows you to do more and to unlock new possibilities for your organization too. So it's kind of coming from both. Yeah, they're like the components, the, the, the pieces that are required to enable that ecosystem to thrive. Is that? Um, yeah, fair. yes, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. so um, the, the way I think about it, if, if, you know, the way sometimes I introduce it is that there's kind of these three levels of innovation. One is the value proposition mm -hmm. and we had the value proposition canvas for that. Yeah. Then you have the value proposition is contained within the business model. And so we have the business model as the, as the canvas yeah. for that. And so the, your business model is also contained in a larger web or formula of value creation that has other components. So it has other business models in there, has infrastructure, yeah. has other things that we can talk about. And so if you want to unlock a higher, uh, higher you know, potential for value creation, well, you have to play at that level. And in yeah. the same way that there was a shift from, hey, if you have a product mindset, you, you can only go so far, you know, think yeah. about it as a, from a business model standpoint, and it unlocks all sorts of things. I think here is the same thing. You, if you don't just think about your organization, your business model, but if you think of that wider array of, of, uh, of elements to play with, then you're going to yeah. unlock new things. Yeah. I love it. Like Mark Stickthorn, who's a good collaborator and a good friend of the podcast, who wrote 
This is Service Design Thinking and This is Service Design Doing, those two great books, um, alongside other contributors like Adam and Marcus and Jakob. But they, he's got a framework called Journey Map Operations, where you talk about the different levels of Zoom within, I guess, the service uh, that the organization delivers for the organization. And at the very highest level is the, the manage, management visibility that becomes ultimately like a dashboard of how the ecosystem is performing. Mm-hmm. Now, when we think about that, and I, I probably should connect both these up to talk about this because there's a there's potentially some sort of collaboration or um, conversations to be had around that. What does that look like? What, like if you're working at that more zoomed out business model, if you want business model as being like the meat and the pie, and you've got multiple business models happening congruently, what are the bits that underpin at the zoom level? Like that's the mm-hmm. furthest out. What what are those components that you see as being critical for the success of the, the ecosystem yeah. to thrive? Yeah. So there's um, in the same way that you have nine building blocks for a business model, I see that yeah. you have three essential uh, things to play with at the level of the business model, mm-hmm. at the level of the ecosystem. Sorry. So one is it's uh, you want to think of the constellation of actors that you bring on board. And typically, what we see again and again, when there is an ecosystem being created, ecosystems become buzzword now, um, the, the ones who are creating them don't care about industry boundaries, right? They don't care about the usual collaborations. They don't care about who your supply chain is, etc. What they do is that they align themselves to a purpose, and then they find the right players to come together in a new web of, of value creation. And so it's not just thinking about your business model, but it's thinking about what could be also the business model of all these other players, what binds them together to, uh, to come together. And so, and so you see unusual actors typically that by definition, right, people you would not expect. So that's number mm-hmm. one. The second thing is because an ecosystem typically, what at least when you're transforming them, um, they don't, um, they don't have an infrastructure to, to, uh, to support it. You're going to have, as the leader of the ecosystem, you're going to have to create that infrastructure. You're going to have pieces that exist here and there, but your job as an ecosystem leader is to build the missing pieces of the infrastructure and connect the dots, connect them together, so that yeah. it empowers users, collaborators, etc. So ecosystem actors, infrastructure. And the third one is what I call communal functions. And communal functions comes from, um, you know, I have this metaphor that an ecosystem leader uh, is, acts like a mayor uh, as opposed to uh, a CEO. You know, a CEO looks after their own house, but a mayor has to look after the entire village, has to build the bridges, has to build the schools, etc. Some of these things, a lot of these things are not uh, for profit. And so if you are an ecosystem player, you have to think about these things as well. So you have to sometimes inspire people. You have to educate or upskill or train, you know, your stakeholders. You have sometimes to subsidize them. You have sometimes to enable them, you know, Tesla giving their patents for free to the competition. So those are behaviors that are not business as usual. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they, they're kind of a new, um, a new behavior in order yeah. to match the new parameter that you play in. I love that mayor um, piece and I'm, I'm actually stealing that right as we, as we speak at the moment, I'm going to use that in one of my talks. <laughs> the mayor piece is really nice. The distinction between the CEO and that mayor function, who, t- who typically does the mayor function in, in the ecosystems that you're seeing and working with? Yeah, so I mean, it has to be a. It could be a founder, CRO. right? Is it? What's that? Yeah. Like a COO? Yeah, but well, I think it has to be the top of the organization because you, okay. you know, so it could be CEO and board. I would say to have that kind okay. of vision because it's typically that also long, that mayor function. Yeah, that mayor function yeah. has to be at the top of the organization. Uh, it's, it's also a long-term effort, right? These ecosystems get built in ten, fifteen years, not in you know, three years or 
So yeah. you have to to have the the backbone and the leadership to to carry it forward. But you're what I on, you're literally bang on, on on the numbers that I've seen. Like I just had a call with somebody who was chief level in one of the banks in Australia before this call. And we were talking about the estimated time for the transformations to occur. Like, you know, and my previous case study that I spoke about was with Cochlear, the medical device business in Australia. Mm -hmm. And we pinpointed it to be about 10 or 11 years. But it's funny, this person, um, he'll be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. It's like 15 to 16 years. He said, that's how yeah. long it took. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, okay. I couldn't believe yeah. it. So it's funny, like two congruent calls saying exactly the same number. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it takes it a long sounds, time. Yeah, it sounds like everything's moving very fast, but ultimately, yeah, yeah to find it to get so there. Things are, things are moving very, very fast, um, and things are taking an awful long time to mature. What are the behaviors that you're seeing at the macro level, at the day level, at the minute level, that are the distinguishing factors? for organizations to become successful. So what are the things that these organizations are doing um, that's part of their DNA that ultimately will allow them to ensure that in 15, 16 years' time, they're going to be kicking goals? Hey, sorry for interrupting the episode, but I wanted to tell you about today's sponsor, Miro. Many people connect it to just being another business collaboration tool but for me, it's so much more. I use it to manage my own Ikigai to help me keep track of my own life and career. This one here that you can see won't get shared to anyone else, so it's a private board. Only I can see it. Now, the beauty of all this is I didn't need to create these canvases from scratch. People on the Miroverse upload them, and there's a constant stream of updated frameworks there for all us changemakers all around the world to use for free many of which come with really detailed instructions on how to use them. So for more information, see www.miro.com forward slash podcast, where you can get three free canvases for free for life. Let's get back into that episode. Yeah, well, I can give you my thoughts on this ecosystem, yeah. you know, keeping kind of with this ecosystem lens. Um, my observation is that you know, and, and, and it's kind of congruent with the mayor analogy. A mayor doesn't have a yeah. business mission. Bus Normally a mayor, if it's a good mayor, has a societal purpose, right? It's there for mm -hmm. a societal purpose. And if you look at the ecosystems out there, you know, Tesla could be one, Alibaba could be one, Intel in the 80s was one. There's, there's many around. Uh, they typically define what they do in societal terms, or at least in collective terms. And, and they actually deliver on them as well. You know, it's the, um, mm. this famous blog post from, uh, from Elon Musk. I don't know if you've ever come across Remember, it. Yeah. yeah, 2006. And he was kind of giving you the, the steps towards, uh, realizing his vision. His vision was about an electric economy. It wasn't about building cars. And it's kind of the same everywhere. You know, there's, there's, uh, uh yeah, success defined in societal terms. Um, so that's that's the the number one thing, um, and then it's it's kind of doing, it's it's shifting your identity from the organization to the ecosystem, means that you need to care for the, for the prosperity of the ecosystem, right? It it becomes part of your job. You can't just look after your own piece. You have to look after how does the whole succeed, as well as how. Do the parts, the individual parts succeed, not just yours. That's why earlier I was saying, you know, you kind of have to help others as part of this ecosystem to yeah. join this new world that you're creating. So yeah. those are some of the behaviors. And uh, just one more I'll mention, uh, there's also this, this idea of managing timeframes in parallel, different timeframes in parallel. So, yeah. you know, the 10, 15 year timeframe, that's not a practical timeframe. You have to have it. But you can't just like hide in a corner for 10, 15 years and then say, boom, <laughs> you know, here's the ecosystem. Yeah, so what, what I see these businesses do is that they have this vision, they're very clear, but they kind of build, build uh, incrementally towards it, kind of one business model at a time, you know. So they build something practical that's, that works mm. in market terms, 
uh, is profitable, sustainable at least. And at the same time, it anchors assets towards the bigger vision. So it's kind of like to keep with the, the Tesla analogy. You know, you have cars, uh, but you're, you're building, you know, one piece of infrastructure at a time, charging stations, partnerships, etc. Uh, mm. so that you can unlock new things, new cars and, you know, the solar panels and the battery uh, walls and, and, and on and on towards kind of this integrated system that, that is the ultimate yeah. vision. So yeah. with leading ecosystems versus um, thinking about it from an organizational, traditional organizational perspective, those systems you know and I know and the listeners know are, are complex. They're complex mm. in their very nature. Um, when you have competing actors in there that might want to nudge in opposite directions, how do you handle that? Because I'm keen to understand your, your perspective on that because if you've got, if you take the zoomed out look and you've got two business models going in opposite directions, mm. how do you manage that? Because you're, you're trying to nudge them closer towards uh the, the same goals yeah well i i answer i answer in a roundabout way <laughs> well let's do it because that's something i feel quite i i feel there's a lot of juice in this so it, as soon as we as human beings we see kind of a complex system we we have a tendency to think mechanically about it you know to think about it in a linear way meaning that yeah, right so yeah. meaning, uh, okay, so now what's the plan and how are we going to get this actor to join and this one and how do they get connected together? It's like a, it's like a bit of an engineer's mindset. Yeah. And what I feel we have to kind of, I feel we have to upgrade ourselves from this engineer mindset to more of an artist mindset. And all great artists are great, you know, they know their craft very well. They're good at technical stuff and all great engineers are artists, you could say as well. So it's not too... Mm -hmm. you know, to, uh, to categorize one or the other, but you have to, to have a new sense of how you're relating to your complex, the complexity of the object or the situation that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes in, um, I have a little, little test that I run that I stole from, uh, you must know him, um, uh, Sagmeister, uh, in, in New York, no. you know about him now, designer guy and forget his first name now. But I was in a, in a conference once in Zurich and I saw him do this. Sagmeister, um, I forget his first Zagmeister. Yeah. He's a Viennese architect, um, designer in, based in New York. He talks about beauty. And so he was running this, he ran this test in that conference. He shows you two Mondrian paintings, you know, Mondrian, uh, I don't know if, yeah, yeah, just, uh, you know, the, the lines and this, the, yellow blue and red squares and a lot of white space yeah it's lovely and, yeah so he shows you one that is an original one and one that is a fake one you don't know which is which oh, and, right. and then he gets the audience to say you know point to me the one that you think is the original and 90 percent of the audience guess guesses like systematically and they do that's his explanation and i i feel really strongly about that too they do because they recognize you know, you could call it beauty or elegance, wholeness, order, right? There's something in us as human beings that recognizes when something is right. Yeah. And so he says the same thing about the, the painter himself, Mondrian. Mondrian wasn't trying to, you know, try to align two lines together and put the, the, the blue box in the right corner, etc. He was just trying to get to something beautiful. And I find that's a great metaphor to deal with ecosystems because you can't just, you know, a lot of people are asking, what's the, what's the dashboard? What are the metrics, et cetera? And fine, you know, we can, we can go there, but you can't, if you go too much in that direction, you kill your own ability to understand how you relate to this complex object of ecosystem. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to think about the organizing principle of the ecosystem. If in the painting of the Mondrian painting is beauty, here in the ecosystem, you want to think of something like, what is the meaning you're trying to create? What is the societal vision? Mm. You know, how are you going to get to wholeness? How are you going to get to this sense of harmony where these actors are all getting something and being fine with it, with a new equilibrium? Yeah. 
So that's where I start with this, this question. Absolutely. It, it echoes um, a conversation I have with Neil Theis, Theis um, who's the author of Notes of, of Complexity, okay. um, a book that is sensational. And I keep on mentioning that people will be sick of me talking about Neil's work. But it was part of the keynote that I gave at Scotland this year around uh, embracing the complexity mindset. Mm. And I have a deep fascination with starling murmurations and ant colonies. Mm. Yeah. And one of the appreciations, like you understand the principles of how they work. And when you start to have those understanding of the principles, you start to see the beauty in what's happening. So my mm. children who used to stand on the ants now stand back and they marvel. And I'm like, we know what they're doing, don't we? And we, we can yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. it. So it's really understanding the principles and the, the levers or levers on what what is happening and understanding our own input and involvement and in how you can disturb the ecosystem is really, really important. Exactly. So that's and, that's kind of what, yeah. I, what I'm hearing in, in what you're talking there. Um, in terms of the understanding of complexity, in terms of um, leaning into the work, um, have you ever heard of Dave Snowden, uh, Dave yeah. Snowden, or terms of, mm -hmm. so Snowden's work in and Stacy's work in what you're talking about here must be very important. It must be yeah. um, considered like the the work Dave's going to be on the and the podcast in a couple of weeks. Ah, so we'll awesome. be talking about some of this stuff. But um, when when an organization has that uh, visibility, um, that that broader, um, I, I don't want to call that a canvas, but something that sits above the business model. Who who is that for? Within or is the that business, in what terms? In terms of who 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 are we creating that um, mm. that vision for? Like that is it? A, if it's a canvas, who who in the organization? do you feel is going to be the, re the recipient of, of that visibility? So yeah, the business me, models is owned by the product manager or the, mm -hmm. the COO, whoever it is within that relevant department. Who's the, the one out from? Who's going to be working it into that and who's going to manage it? Yeah, so it's, it depends as an organization what role you're playing in the ecosystem. Uh, a lot of these examples I've mentioned, Alibaba, Tesla, et cetera, they're, you could say they're, they're leaders of their own ecosystem. They create a, a whole new thing. And so they're the mayor of the ecosystem. And therefore, the role is, you know, the founder, the CEO, together with the board, the, the highest level yeah. of the organization. And that's basically this ecosystem is their strategic blueprint that should, you know, yeah. Be uh, everybody, everybody, and everything in the organization should be aligned to that bigger, bigger thing. Yeah. It's not, uh, you know, one thing on top of another. It's just the thing that we're trying to create. Yeah. But there's also instances where an organization is not the leader of the ecosystem, but they're trying to co-create a new ecosystem. Often, you know, not not everyone has, let's say, vision, power, legitimacy. Also, in in a certain yeah. context to be that one actor that does everything. Yeah. Um, it may also not be the best way, right? To have just concentration of power in, in one, uh, one organization. Huge amount of risk. Huge amount of risk. And also, you know, from a societal standpoint, you're trying, you're, you're you know, you're I'm concentrating a lot, of, uh, a lot of power, a lot of wealth, et cetera. So I think there's other ways that are, that are out there of uh, co-creation and one, even with traditional players, so I've I've done a lot of work with uh, with Roche Pharma Company, right? Yeah, and so they're trying to go from uh, just being, let's say, a drug manufacturer to make it very simple, to an enabler of what they call personalized health. Yeah, and they realize so you know lots of new science, lots of technology, patient data. There's kind of a whole world that is changing where they feel they're very positioned to provide new solutions that are, you know, for the very good, very strong oncology. So it's not going to be about uh, lung cancer or breast cancer. It's going to be about what is the gene mutation of this particular patient. And so to provide solutions to this. In yeah. order to do this, hospitals have to work differently. Doctors have to prescribe right. something else. Uh, you know, insurance have to reimburse other things. Governments have to be involved in co-founding. 
So they can't make it happen, in other words, if the ecosystem's not aligned around it. Absolutely. And so one thing to go back to this, you know, who is responsible for this? So in, in uh, for example, in Canada, they, uh, they realize, well, we need to have access to patient data. But nobody is going to allow a pharma company in a multi, you know, multi, uh, multi-stakeholder society like Canada to own patient data. So what they yeah. did is that they created a not-for-profit where they sit in, in the governance board of it along with research organizations, government, uh, and others. And hmm. together they say, here's how we're going to collect patient data. Here's how we're going to create the rules by which patient data can be used. And that's a, a kind of a mayor function, but that's owned collectively. Yeah. So there's there was uh, a great uh, yeah I t- I totally agree and the work at Roche sounds super fascinating because the intent is there the principles are there about what they're trying to achieve and the time it takes to to get there is is really important but to quote Patrick Quattlebaum who I spoke with recently on the podcast will be coming out soon author of orchestrating experiences he said it's not the time it takes to do something it's the timing. And the timing of the, the, the situations is really, really important. Mm. So with an awful lot of the work that you're talking about here um, around, I guess, n- nudging the ecosystem or setting yeah. up the components and the factors, where does the timing, how can we ensure that what we're doing um, is, is, is aligning to the right time for the organization to do it? Because you know things can happen at certain times. The market fit isn't there. Sure. The organization isn't ready, the the consumer isn't ready, whoever it is. What are the indicators for you in saying, okay, now is the time to do this? Yeah, it's a very good question. I so I think of two things when you when you mention this. Number one is often we say it's not the right time when we have the narrow view of let me launch my product or let me launch my business in a certain environment, right? And so we check, yeah. is my idea ready for that environment? And mm-hmm. for all of these successful ecosystem stories, if you had applied that filter, you would have said, ah, no, that's that's never going to work. The environment's not ready. You know, when yeah. uh, Alibaba is trying to do e-commerce in, in, in China in 2003, there's no uh, shipping, you know, express shipping industry. There's no payment systems. So... What, what would you say? Yeah, it was too, too early. It's not going to happen. But no, at, you know, if you're an ecosystem leader, then you have to uh, take a larger responsibility to create the pieces that are missing in the environment uh, so that your idea can thrive. So that's one, yeah. one aspect of timing. The other aspect, I think, is, you know, what are the, um, I would use this word, what are the fertile grounds where you see that there are... Um, emergent possible collaboration that, that you know, act, some actors are ready, not everyone, but mm. where you can go and talk to them and, and, you know, have them back up your vision because they are aligned with it as well. And yeah. I think that kind of takes, um, well, builds momentum, uh, you know, towards the ecosystem, which will take a few actors, maybe not all of them at the, at, or not all of the usual ones, because uh, you know, if you try to wait for that timing, maybe it's you wait for a long time. Um, yeah. So I would I would think of timing in terms of fertility of you know where is this the right where is the right terrain to plant seeds and to cultivate these seeds. Yeah. It sounds like you've you've hit an area um, in your own kind of uh, I guess knowledge, if you want to. you're focusing on something that's really interesting to you. I can sense it. Like, and I sensed it when we were Mm. driving around and we were talking about some of this stuff, weaving the ethical considerations, you know, really reflecting on what's gone before and what's potentially going to come ahead. Um, What does the future look like for Greg um, and Greg Bernarda in terms of where you're going to take this, this knowledge work that you're doing at the moment? Yeah. So I was telling you earlier that, I feel like this is a thread that I'm pulling and I'm seeing what comes yeah. with it. But to me, um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's getting out of this business language a little bit uh, yeah. of, you know, I think, I think it's the business language that we have is a bit too small for the kind of problems we have 
it's too small yeah. for our time, for the kind of aspirations we have. And so for me, I want to pull that thread of reconnecting this world of business that is very practical and does things very well, very, very yeah. efficiently with the world of, you know, um, the more subtle uh, world of um, how are we uh, sensing what needs to happen in society? Who, how are we uh, aligned ourselves with what, you know, we are feeling needs to happen with also, mm -hmm. you know, th this is a thing with, I sometimes mention this, you know, a lot of, a lot of people feel divided between their work and their lives. You know, they kind of go and it's like this quote from a, a Google that I've heard I, anecdote that the higher up you're in, in Google, the stricter you are with your kids in terms of technology access, <laughs> you know, so. They, right. They're kind of building a little monster here and they're trying to do everything to protect their... Uh, it's a bit of an, an exaggeration, but I think this divide is there in society. And so if you yeah. continue with this language of business, you're kind of cutting, cutting a part of yourself, uh, you know, yeah. as part of uh, what should happen, really, or what kind of world you want yeah. to build in a particular area. So I'm trying to reconcile these two things. So <laughs> that, that's, I think... To answer your question at kind of a macro level, that's that's what I feel we need, a new language, a new way of, uh, a broader way, yet still practical way of, of, of embracing all of this. And who are the collaborators that you're kind of looking to collaborate with to make it happen? Who are the well, actors that use your language? <laughs> yes. What's my ecosystem? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe you, Jerry, you, we can talk more about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying this because I was inspired with what you said about the, the young generation earlier uh, and how... Yeah, uh, makers and doers. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, lot of potential here. So I am looking at... Um, so this language thing is kind of a thing I'm doing not on my own. I have a lot of people that I'm collaborating with and, and so that yeah. we can take this into different contexts. But then in parallel to that, I'm also exploring. Um, so one thing that I feel is important is kind of how do we equip uh, this next generation, let's say maybe young or young adults. Uh, I'm, I'm always confused about generation, what generation it is. But yeah. let's say people that are, yeah, late university years, beginning of the of the. Um, of, the, of you know their their professional career and they're kind of sitting at a, at a time that is quite you know uh, important for them in terms of where they're going to go into life are they mm -hmm. going to end up in a you know organization where they where they feel like they have to do what they're told to do and kind of lose their mm -hmm. their spark etc or can they embrace their own sense of hey this is who I am this is what I feel I can contribute yeah. here and equipping these people with a sense of one connection with themselves and two ability to do this kind of thing that, that we're talking about. So do this kind of thing around, um, you know, how can I embrace a more things from a more holistic standpoint? How can I be practical in this? How can I build systems and communities and collaboration, uh, and, and really steward this, steward this, uh, yeah. The, the, this process towards building the the kind of world that they feel inspired to. Uh, yeah, so education is a is this a thing huge that I'm looking at from people. Yeah, it's funny. I, I saw a quote from Obama recently about uh, what he hopes for the next and the future generations to be able to to achieve, and what advice would he give to them? And his response was, and it was somewhat sort of underwhelming, if you want. He said it was just get shit done mm. and um, be able to get shit done was his, was his thing. And I was like saying, yeah, okay, mm. but there's a few steps before that, that we need to really help them, uh, to be able to get what done. Like, you know, really like, you know, like we, we can do, we can, we can enable that, I think pretty easily, but I think the, the ethical considerations and making sure that we're not compounding the problems that have gone before us and helping us design our way out of this situation. Yes. It's really, really important. Yeah. The skills and problem solving and stuff. Well, look, yeah, Greg, you, 
you, you are um, everywhere on the internet. Like, you know, you, you are nearly, nearly as bad as me in terms of, uh, I'm, I'm only joking. You're on LinkedIn. I know that because there's a great talk, which I'm going to link to in, um, from the thinkers 50, yep. which I saw it a couple of months ago. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, because, um, you know, you cover an awful lot of ground and there's some really nice visuals um, that probably complement the conversation that we have had today. Mm. But is there anything else you want to give a shout out to in terms of the work that you're doing? If there, if there are people out there that you're looking to collaborate with on stuff, you know, we do have a good listenership um, with multidisciplinary people. So give a shout out if there's anything you want to give a shout out to now. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Uh, so the talk you mentioned at the end of the talk that you mentioned on LinkedIn, I introduced actually something we haven't talked <laughs> today about, but it's, it's kind of resonant with some of our, the thread of our conversation is that at the end I'm saying we, it, it's not about disruption. You know, we've been enamored with this term disruption because uh, yeah. disruption is interesting in terms of changing the status quo. Uh, mm. But my sense of disruption is that it kind of moves value or, you know, sideways. It moves value from this set of actors to this set of actors. And I like yeah. the term abruption better because abruption kind of channels this energy of disruption. Yes, we need to shake things up, but we need to also guide it into a new place that's better for everyone. Mm. And so um, I have a page now, abruption.com, that I just uh, started. Uh -huh. And so people can go there. There's, uh, okay. yeah. You can leave your email there. And um, yeah, I would direct Great. people there. Yeah. Brilliant. Greg, listen, look, thanks very much for um, giving me your time this morning and chatting so openly about the work that you have done and are doing and are going to do in the future. You're always welcome back in the podcast. You know, just send us an email. We'd love to have you on because it's fascinating speaking and understanding what's making you tick these days. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Jerry. Really good to see you again. See you soon. Thank you.